The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. This is Chrissy Coughlin, and you are listening to Nature of Business. And it is a beautiful Wednesday morning, although very, very, very cold. We get to talk to Eric Hudson, uh, founder and president of Preserve, Waltham-based company. And we have him on the line here. Hi, Eric. How are you? Hi, Chrissy. I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. You guys are talking about AMC. I actually founded Preserve only doors away from their Beacon Hill uh, office. Is that right? Yep. Oh, nice segue. I, you know, I mentioned I, I did their trip leadership um, training last spring, or I feel like it was longer than last spring, maybe a year ago. And and it's I just love them, and uh, I go on a lot of their hikes and and lead hikes with uh, my friend Reggie sometimes, and and I've met some amazing people through them. So they have this new leader now after twenty three years. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Obviously, quite a quite a trail. A lot of. Uh fantastic lands all around it, and, and it's great to have an organization that watches out for it. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, I'm excited to um, to hear more about Preserve and to hear uh, about your story and how you got it started. And uh, why don't we start with that? Why don't you give the audience a, a rundown on, on what Preserve is and, 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 and sort of why you started it and what, what got you interested in, in this field? Great. Thank you. Um, I started Preserve to start a company that could, would have less impact on the earth and making fantastic products that people use every day. Um, I found a, a space to try to accomplish this and, and, and a market opportunity uh, in the sense that there was more and more recycling going on in the early 90s, uh, but there was also this big question of what does my stuff turn into? Um, There's definitely a much more action going on in people's homes, particularly on the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, definitely a major behavioral change going on in people's households. Um, but the demand component of turning these recyclables into great new products um, was not evident. And this is where Preserve or Recycline at the time came in. And I wanted to start a company that both delivered on those actions that consumers were doing, um, but also helped the industry by creating demand for the materials that were recycled out there. There definitely was a lot of discussion in the industry at the time. <clears throat> I think that the notorious barge that tried to find a home that couldn't find a home in Fresh Kills Landfill in New York City, mm-hmm. um, in a similar vein, there was all this recycling going on, but there weren't products that were made from those materials. Mm-hmm. So that was the, that was the general uh, the genesis of Preserve. Um, I also wanted to find a company that I felt great about going to work for every day, uh, and the products flowed from that idea. Uh, we focused on polypropylene, which is a plastic that is um, one of the more benign plastics, number five, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also plastic that, that, that's extremely versatile. So in in trying to help to re- reduce impact. We chose a material that was already made, that had already sourced the natural gas and oil um, to make this product, and we chose to reuse it. So by taking things that people were recycling, turning them into new products, we're then, in essence, reusing this natural gas and oil that was already consumed from our earth. Mm-hmm. Polypropylene is a great material. It makes fantastic products, and we were able to you know, really raise the bar on what kind of products that we could make 
from recycled materials. And there's so the deep story behind it as well is polypropylene was a, a material that was sort of left behind. The HDPEs and the number one PETs were what the recycling industry focused on, and this fantastic material, number five, had been left behind. Why was it left? Why? Why is it, why is it so so um, infrequently recycled? They say they take, you know, you always see number two, number one, possibly number four, but why is five left out? Right on. Great question. Um, it, the reason it was left out is because ones and twos were the cash cow for the industry. Oh, okay. So they focused on the soda bottles, the water bottles, which weren't as prevalent back then, um, and the milk jugs, the HDPE number twos. And number fives was much smaller quantity, so it wasn't something that they they focused their machines on or their manual processing on and separating it out. Cause it I, was commonly put into the number two stream as a, a small contaminant. Oh, okay. Because I always was under the impression that there's got to be something wrong with number five because... Uh, they don't. Nobody takes them, and so I'd feel guilty. I'd get my yogurt, and I'd be like, "Why does this have to be in a number five or my hummus or whatever?" And and I would always, I just never understood it fully. That I was like, there yeah. must be something in here that's that is that's it's not interesting. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not it's not that case at all. It's what's it's some great stories about companies switching to number five. You know, forward thinking companies, mm-hmm. Stony Field Farm, right. big change in two thousand went from high density polyethylene yogurt cups to number five yogurt cups. Why did they do it? They were thinking about the entire supply chain, thinking about the fact that they could make uh, a, a package for their yogurt, a fantastic package, but also that was lighter weight, used less material. So throughout the supply chain, they're sourcing less material. They're using less resources to transport it around. Mm-hmm. But it, it created a big splash because most people sort of looked at it and said, but at the death of the product, when I care about recycling this, I can't recycle it. So what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> so that that's why we started Gimme 5. I mean, Preserve has uh, five categories of products. Um, I'll get into this a little bit, I hope, if I can. Of course. But we also founded Gimme 5. And Gimme 5 is a program that reaches out to consumers, whether it's at retail or through university programs, and says, Please give us your number five plastics. We want to turn it into new products. Mm-hmm. So it it has nothing to do with it being you know a problem plastic. It number four and number two are the most benign plastics, um, and it's all it's it's mainly about that sort of track in the industry of focusing on ones and twos. Mm-hmm. The Give Me Five program is something I, I, I actually personally love because I was so excited when I found out about it for the reason I mentioned before, where I, I would feel so guilty about not being able to recycle my number five plastics, which I used a lot. And so I have this little bag in my kitchen that I carry to Whole Foods and I put them in there. My frustration with the, the my Whole Foods, my Whole Foods, is that it's in the back kind of where people sit. So I, I always wonder, I'm like, and I hope enough people actually know this hat is here and, and is is um, you know, something that you can just bring your stuff to do, you know, into re- yeah. recycle. Now, tell tell us about the technical. Like, how does the functionality of this work? How do, do you have trucks that pick this? The, the Give Me Five products up on a daily basis, weekly basis, from all of the the, the locations, the drop off locations. Um, we we work through Whole Foods Markets um, logistics and their reverse, um, you know, trucking as okay. it were. So, okay. so <clears throat> with the Whole Foods system. They're responsible for it uh, from, you know, once it's deposited in the stores to 
it moving back through the back end of the store, being transported from a truck to their distribution center or some of their warehouses, and there it's compacted into bales, and then we pick it up from there and bring it to uh, Cortland, New York, which is where our, our main sorting and reprocessing partner is. Excellent. So how, how else do you get your enough plastic, number five, to create your products? Where else do you get it from? We have a number of part- partnerships with companies um, that, like Stonyfield Farm, for instance, mm-hmm. um, where we have for years taken whatever plastic they can't use for whatever reason. Now, okay. what, you know, if that's a an off-spec package or a package that's out of print, um, you know, someone like Stonyfield has gotten better and better at making sure they have none left of that. You know, once it's finished with its market uh, worth, but um, still there remains. You know, a lot of pre-consumer recyclable materials out there. Um, and then there's post-consumer programs. So Stonyfield also has a take-back program where a lot of consumers send back their used yogurt cups and boxes uh, from their basement to Stonyfield, and we get all that material. In addition, we have partnerships with the leading uh, reprocessors and remanufacturers in the United States that both take curbside material as well as business-to-business post-consumer recycled material. So we get some of those supplies as well. Great. So we have to obviously talk about the products. For people who are just chomping at the bit, like, what are these products? Uh, You have to get on the website, if you're near your computer, preserveproducts.com, and you can actually see them, which is always fun to actually have a visual while you're listening to the interview. But tell us about the products. Great, thanks. Preserved toothbrush was our was our first product. I love it. I love that's my favorite. <laughs> it's been around for a while now. Yeah. Uh, when I started the company, I had to marry this idea to start a lower impact company, one that solved uh, or to a degree this recycling challenge, with a product. And I had an idea for a toothbrush uh, since my teens of a new design. Um, and I worked with my 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 father, who's an industrial designer, as well as uh, a dental uh, organization, uh, both Tufts and Harvard, to develop a working group to say, you know, how can we redesign the toothbrush? So the Preserved Toothbrush launched to market, uh, speaking of Whole Foods, at Bread and Circus in Wellesley. is our first store, um, along with Cambridge Natural in, in spring of 97. And it was followed by the Preserved Razor. Um, both of those are the number one selling in the natural channel. And we then followed it with preserved tableware, which is basically a, a solution. 100%, everything we make is made from 100% recycled polypropylene plastics. Um, but the tableware is a solution to that throwaway styrene football, um, you know, plates and cups. Let's let's get a set and let's reuse it and let's wash it and have it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we came out with a kitchen line. Uh, and then we have a food storage line. Okay. I love the colander. I have the colander, too. I just thought I'd throw that out there. They're really, they're really attractive products. I mean, the, the, you've taken design um, very seriously. And I didn't know that your father um, was an industrial designer. So that kind of makes sense if you know to pay attention to this. But it's, it's a big part of what you do because your products have definitely have a cool factor. And they look nice. They're aesthetically pleasing. And um, I think I've brought up this example before about you know when I've had... Um, John Vera Ford on the show and talking about how they introduced their their um, Fiesta, their European design Fiesta into the U.S. and it made all the difference in the world. Design is such an important part of selling a product. Talk to us a little bit more about how you, how you feel about the importance of design and innovation as part right. of the business. 
Love to. Um, first, I'll just start again with my dad. I think I, I, I have an advantage in this in this standpoint that um, you know my dad was um, was a, a head designer for a car company, American Motors. So you know I grew up in this atmosphere of just the the constant critic. Believe it or not, you, just, you would always look at these other designs of these really ugly cars and say, "Oh my God, look at those lines." So in some ways, you know, this this impacted my interest to have things look um, beautiful and quite attractive, and obviously, you know, sort of form some of my designed. Um, concerns. Um, but, you know, I looked to my dad and launching the preserve uh, as the original designer. And we used to get some grief about how it looked like, you know, either a boat or a car. It was very flashy and nice, smooth lines. Um, but that, you know, that foundation of making sure um, you, when you capture recycled materials, make it a highly functional product, you also make it really attractive. And we got rid of the bells and the whistles, the gimmicks, um, you know, the crisscross bristles, and, and talk to the dentist and say, what really works? And that basic formation of the tri-level bristle configuration, um, even though it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles, that works best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and the handle does not need to have these rubber grippers, which are less recyclable, use more resources, use different kind of plastics, the squishy ones that have the weird stuff in it. Um, and... It you know made this iconic looking toothbrush that we were able to build off of. So all along the way, design has been a very important element to every one of our products. Um, we've worked with design firms. Um, we've you know talked to the big guys and worked with some of the smaller guys that are more local. Um, but with every with every product, we've got either you know a champion designer who's joined us for a little bit, or with the kitchen line, we worked with a firm called Evo. And they were fantastic in looking deep into, you know, what was considered informing our products, the natural elements, the, the sort of the sim- simple beauty of our products, and including that in a, you know, a highly functional colander, if you will, or a highly functional cutting board, even though, it, again, that doesn't have all the bells and whistles, it's got the necessary um, you know, ergonomic or functional components combined with a beautiful design to help you really have a you know, a fantastic cutting board or colander in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. And as we know, less, you know, less is more in this cluttered world sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's go back to the issue of plastics, because this is something that um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, they're just pondering, like, should, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. Uh, plastics can be very confusing to people. Um, you love them when you need a Ziploc bag to store something when you're traveling, but you kind of hate them because you don't know where to put it afterwards, etc. Um Preserve sort of fills this niche of being able to love the product with in knowing that the plastic is coming from 100% uh, recycled sources. Um, let, why are there why are there so many different kinds of plastics? First, why why are the, why does it go one through seven? And what are some of these harmful chemicals? We hear about BPA, we hear about phthalate, phthalates. I can't. I think it's phthalates. It's even hard to pronounce. Um, why are these Why are these so harmful too? I mean, let's start. Let's start with the. the why are there so many numbers here? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, so why are there so many numbers? Um, you know, years ago, people found out that they could, um, you know, convert oil and natural gas into these polymers that could then be formed into new products through various um, methods. And, you know, whether it's blow molding, injection molding, thermoforming, um, there are a number of different ways of taking plastic and, you know, taking it from a hard element to a soft element and then reforming it into a hard element again. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the we have a relationship with UMass Lowell, a partnership really, um, one of the premier plastic manufacturing firms uh, or, or universities in the U.S., if not the world. Mm-hmm. So we look to them. Um, as well as, you know, deep throughout our organization um, with a couple of engineers on staff to make sure that we are staying on the cutting edge as far as what materials we should use, how we should use them, how we should test them. So the numbers go from one to seven, and that was generally an, an industry code to say, I just want you to identify what this is so on the other end someone knows how to recycle it. Okay. That's the very simple reason why it's there. Um, so when you when you take a plastic, a one versus a five, you want to separate those out. And they're more often separated out by shape or form than they are actually by the number. Um, but they have different properties, different consistencies, different ways of being manufactured. Like a blow mold is when you sort of, you know, almost blow up a balloon in making a soda bottle or a water bottle, an injection um, an injection mold is basically taking a, uh, a plastic and fitting it into a cavity, and it's not hollow. It's, it's uh, you know, completely filled with the, with the plastic, and that is an injection-grade plastic. And that's predominantly high-density polyethylene and polypropylene. Mm, okay. so not to get into too much detail, but basically there's different properties for each one of these numbers. Okay. Now the BPA, the BPA issue, we hear about it all the time, and 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 how my my water, well, my water bottle today is is not made of plastic, but in general, when you see water po- bottles, they say BPA free. And when I spoke with, uh, w- when I had Wood Turner on the show, who is now with Stonyfield, and he, but he used to be over with Climate Counts, as, as you know, he he. Um, he said something that really struck me. These moms are so worried about the water bottles, yet they buy the, the you know, the, a lot of the toys out there, which aren't BPA-free. Um, what is it about BPA? What, is that just the, the latest fad, or is that one of many hidden chemicals or toxic materials in these plastics? And it's going to be, it's the, this, year's, this year's toxic chemical, and next year we're going to find something else? Um, great question. Um, and I just was on the phone with Wood two weeks ago. Um, there, there's, there's constant research going on, and the research is still developing. Um, I don't think, to answer your question, that, you know, a year from now we're going to find something that's worse than bisphenol A. Okay. I think that research has pulled out those that are the most um, concerning, um, yet we certainly still use them in a lot of uh, different um, capacities and, and, you know, functions. I mean, we, we talked about the numbers. We talked about the different kinds of plastics. Polystyrene is not a good plastic. Polyvinyl chloride is not a good plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, polycarbonate, I'm not going to say is not a good plastic, but that's where bisphenol A is used, is in polycarbonate. Um, we've never made anything out of polycarbonate. Have I thrown away all my analogy models? No, I still use them, but I don't leave them in my car and let them sort of, you know, melt into my water and then drink the water. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of aware of of when a plastic might leach. Um, PV, PVC or sorry, polycarbonate with bisphenol A, the most commonly used, um, it's the most common plastic that uses bisphenol A, um, does tend to leach. So you need to to use it in a way that is not going to leach um, as much as it might another way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but let me just sort of pull back and say that we focused on polypropylene. Um, I don't think 
two years from now, you're going to get something, you know, coming out saying, oh, my God, I can't believe that was in there. <laughs> That's, you know, completely the reason why I'm dying at 67 versus, you know, 85 when I should. <laughs> um, I always take heart in the fact that, you know, generally our age, our age, you know, when people are dying is certainly getting further and further out rather than, you know, closer and closer to when we were born. So in general, we have introduced a lot of chemicals into the world, into our manufacturing process. And I think that, you know, 2000 and beyond, we've been reversing that trend. We're now rethinking things. We're finding out new ways to make things without using the chemicals that we've realized through research are bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, we can talk a lot about this. It's definitely something that you know, is concerning to a lot of consumers. There's a lot of confusion out there. Um, I think generally the way I'd capture it is that, uh, you know, you look for the companies that are focused on the materials that are more benign, look for the tests that they're doing on those materials, look for some of their communication about how you should use their products. I'll give you a good example. We, we, we don't say our products are microwavable. Mm-hmm. Yet, our products are as microwavable as any other number five plastic product out there. All the products that say they're microwavable. We do say they're dishwasher safe. We know what happens in a dishwasher. We don't know what happens in a microwave. Somebody might, but we don't know. I mean, that, most scientists don't know. The research is still out. Okay, what's actually happening in that plastic when you put it in a microwave? So that's the reason we don't have microwave safe on the bottom of our, uh, our products, even though some preservers, people in our office, do microwave in our products. Some don't. So it's sort of a choice as to whether you want to take that. And, and we haven't put it there because we feel, you know, if everybody in our family is not doing it, then we're not going to promote it. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, I have a lot of questions. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. This is uh, we, we probably could talk about the whole issue of plastics for a whole nother hour. But um, but this has been a, a great introduction to it because I know there's a lot of confusion and, and and it's it's just nice to know that there's a company out there that's doing the right thing with this, you know, in this regard. Um, quickly, before we go, what where are we going to be see be seeing preserve in the next couple of years? Are you are you expanding? What, what's going on with the company? Thanks. Um, and I've been very much enjoyed this conversation. We could go on for a long time. Um, we are going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, we're going to get more active in Gimme 5. We're going to get more active sort of in the, you know, in the community world, if you will, whether that's social media or just reaching out to preservers. Mm-hmm. Um, we love partnerships. We have some great partnerships brewing in, in 2012. Um, as far as retailers, we'll, we'll continue to add on uh, new chains, but, um, you know, our current uh, retail partners are near and dear to our hearts. And, and, you know, as far as a co-op or a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, um, you'll continue to see uh, preserved products, you know, well positioned there with our partners and, and uh, with new promotions to reach out to our consumers. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Eric. We appreciate it. And I will put stuff on the website, on Nature Business website about you and, uh, and the company and um, definitely look forward to having you back. Thanks, Chrissy. Okay. It's a real pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com.